0: what the Lord has for us this morning thank you Landon uh, Nehemiah chapter 2 we really have been discovering and looking about being uh, this restoration of the walls uh, that are going around Jerusalem and so we understand and learn in the book of Ezra of how they rebuilt the temple they rebuilt the tabernacle of the Lord and now they're really ready to uh, rebuild those walls. And so we have seen over the last couple of chapters, and we're concluding this second chapter before they actually begin building, we uh, see that Nehemiah goes in. He hears a report of where the, the condition that the walls are in of that city. And then he uh, gets permission from, the, uh, from his king, from his leader, who he is the cupbearer for, to be able to get go back to Jerusalem and he has permission basically from that king to go into these regions and these different places back into Jerusalem to have access to do these things that he's fixing to do so when he goes in there he has basically permission slips or or, uh, or access granted to be able to go through these places that he's going to because of the king that he was associated with, okay? And so that's what we have seen up to this point. Uh, very thankful for, uh, for uh, Jake being able to really lay those things out for us over the last uh, few weeks. And uh, now he really, uh, Nehemiah, has an opportunity now to go in and assess the situation himself, to really have his eyes on the, the, and assess it, and to be able to figure out exactly how he's going to accomplish of rebuilding these walls. But before we get there this morning, I want to even just bring to our attention, because sometimes, you know, we get so laser-focused when we pull out something from the Old Testament that we forget a couple things. We forget, why are we even building these walls, you know, why, are we, why do we even care what Jerusalem was doing in that day and why do we even care about it today or even in the future? So sometimes we forget just as we're focusing in, in on a passage of Scripture and we're focusing in on a book in Nehemiah, that we just kind of forget the bigger picture or even just the history behind it, even really what got us here. And you know me, whenever I preach, Lisa's already nervous because she heard me talk about how do we get to this point and how does it affect us in the future. She, she knows we're fixing to cover Genesis to Revelation and, uh, and hopefully we'll be out by noon. That's what I know that's what... Someone on that second row right there is thinking right now, okay, but relax. We'll get there, okay? Uh, We'll just cover Anyway, let me just move on. So we want to know why we got here. We want to understand why we even talking about Jerusalem, why we even talking about building these walls, and not only those things that we'll discover, but I want us to get really personal this morning of how this can really affect our life. How does this really relate to me this morning in my everyday life and how does this really challenge me in my everyday life okay so the first thing is i want us to understand what is jerusalem I mean, why do we even care about jerusalem what kind of significance is this place is this place of jerusalem that and when we look at nehemiah chapter 2 and he goes to assess it why is it such a big deal? We want to understand Jerusalem is called the city of peace. That's what it means. When you look it up in a dictionary, it means city of peace. One definition, uh, 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 put it this way, of possession of peace. And I really like that one. One, that the city that possesses peace. Now, when we talk about peace, there's a lot of things when we, when we think about peace. We want peace in our heart. That's the main thing, right? We want peace in our mind to be able to really sleep at night. You know, that's a nice peace, you know, not having kids bug us a little bit to be able to sleep or take that that good nap without kids bugging you. That's a real peace. Mamas, some mamas in here can understand that. Right. And then, but, you know, really peace in our hearts, but also peace in, in our country, in our world. It's nice when we really have it's calm and peaceful. Maybe it's peace from a storm not only in our life, but even just weather and conflict and things around us, boy, it's been nice, thankful. You know, we don't have to say it in a superstitious way. I'm thankful we didn't run from a hurricane this year, right? We can just say thankfulness to the Lord, but we know what it is to have unrest and not have peace in a time of real storms that are in, in, in weather conditions in our life. So Jerusalem is a city, the Bible describes it as a city on a hill, is that place that is a city of peace, It's, uh, as I said a second ago, a possession of peace. It's called Zion. It's called that holy city. It's called the city of God, the city of David. All of these things reference Jerusalem, okay, that city of peace. And so it's important for us to understand that this, this city has so much significance in it, not only in the Old Testament, but also what is to come. The first time we see any mention of this city, And let me tell you something. As I'm going to be going through these and mentioning some of uh, of these things, as the preacher that I am, believe me, and as I like to talk, and you know that as well, every one of these things I'm going to mention as I'm going to go through talking about Jerusalem, boy, it's a sermon within itself. I would love to just spend time this morning talking about each and every one of these stories. Like the first one that I'm talking about is the first mention of any reference of Jerusalem it uh, goes back to Genesis chapter 14 when it talks about the king of Salem, okay? That is the king of peace, the king of Salem, Abraham himself. Abraham the patriarch was there and he meets this man. The man says that he is from the kingdom. He is the king of Salem, the king of peace. And he meets with him. This, name's man, this, this king's name was Melchizedek. And he gave, and he, he there he worshipped him, he met with him, and he gave, that's the first mention of him giving an offering, giving a tithe, the Bible talk, talks to us there in the book of Genesis. He gives to this man. This man had no origin. This man had no, no uh, uh, you know, where did he actually come from? They didn't know. We didn't know through scripture where he was. We really believe this is kind of the first instance of, of God himself appearing on the earth is whenever, uh, as far as mankind, as far as the pre-incarnated Christ that is there. And Abraham gives him a tithe. And Abraham's there worshiping with this one, this king of Salem. Also, we see in Joshua chapter 10, one of the greatest stories in Joshua. There's a lot of military and great stories in the book of Joshua, of course, as they're going to capture the land that God had promised them to Abraham years ago. And they're going in and they're being victorious. And they, we've seen the, the wall of Jericho come down. We've seen all of these things happen. Ai fall. We've seen all of these great things. And then now because they're being so victorious in the land of Israel to make it their own, to make it their home. There's the king of Jerusalem, the Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 10, that he is there as part of a Canaanite city. It's not part of the Israelite uh, uh, conquered cities yet. And so what, what does the king of Jerusalem do at that time? He's a, he's a worldly king. He's not a godly king. And he gathers other tribes, uh, other kingdoms around him to be able to fight off Joshua and the children of Israel. He knew that the kingdom of Israel was too great for his just little Jerusalem. So he gathered people around him. And uh, whenever he gathered the other kingdoms around him to go against the children of Israel, the Bible says that it was a great battle. But God gave them that battle, and that is also the time in Joshua chapter ten. It was against Jerusalem and the other cities that, that uh, came in uh, in in you know in uh, uh, well I lost my train of thought hey, th- that they that they joined together. Excuse me, joined forces with Jerusalem. That, that is the time that the sun stood still, the Bible says. That, that the sun stood still so that God could finish the battle for the children of Israel, okay? So that is in Joshua chapter 10. Then, if you're still with me, David conquers after he is uh, king over Israel. He is the king over Israel. He has the entire kingdom And he says, I'm going to, once he conquered Jerusalem as his place to set up his kingdom, then he moves the Ark of the Covenant and the temple and and, and the worship place, he moves it to Jerusalem. Then he sets up camp there. And if you remember that story, Saul's daughter comes up to him and she says, How dare you dance and get so excited for bringing the Ark of the Covenant, bringing God's presence there to Jerusalem. How dare you get to a place of celebration and dancing and and all this excitement in the presence of God. And David says, once you understand it, he says, you don't understand it. He said, once you really understand it, he goes, let me tell you something. If you think this is undignified, I'll get even more undignified than this. Because let me tell you something. When God gets a hold of you and really God is shaping your life and moving, David says, listen... If you think this is is something that I should get excited about, you haven't even seen the half of it. He says it's important for us to get excited about the things of God. And so David is excited about being able to bring the Ark of the Covenant into that holy city of Jerusalem. And that's why he brought it there and that's why he set up his kingdom in David's city because of how great this city of Jerusalem was. David again had a vision. He had a vision that he said, you know what, I dwell in a house. It's kind of like our situation here. We're very temporary in our church setting. And many of us, we have the luxury of going to our home that is built, that is nice, that is something that we call just home and that we're not temporary people setting up and tearing down each and every time we spend the night in our own house. And David says, you know what, I live in a great palace, I live in a great kingdom, and he says, God, you're, sit- you're there, we're still setting up your tabernacle in a tent. And he says, God, you know what, we should build you, and he tells this to the prophet Nathan, he says, we should build God a beautiful house. We should build him a beautiful temple, tabernacle that we could worship at. And, and God tells him, David, no one told you to do that. I didn't speak those things to you, but it is a good idea. He says, I'll use your son Solomon to build that temple. And when Solomon builds that temple, he builds this great place for God's people to worship, to worship the one true God. And Solomon not only builds this temple, but he builds these walls. And we'll get to that in just a second. And so with that, whenever he uses his son to build those walls, it was a great city. It was a great massive city. And the the highlight of that city was that tabernacle. But what protected the people and protected that tabernacle and that place of worship was the walls that God had put around them for their protection. Walls are very important, and like I said, we'll get to that in a second. Just continuing on Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been invaded in, in 2 Kings. 2 Kings, we see that Babylon comes in and invades them and it even tells us specifically where they invade uh, in the south part of it, and at night they go in in 2 Kings, if you want to reference it later, but 2 Kings chapter 25 and verse, verse 4 is when they go in, and in verse 10 it tells us that they just completely destroy all the walls of the city. The city was in ruins. The city was uh, in complete disaster uh, because of, of what Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar had done to the city. Now, Nehemiah now assesses it. This is where we're going to be at. Nehemiah assesses this city and sees, and he is aware, and he actually acts on these things because of the great ruins of this great city. And what's nice about Nehemiah, and we'll get to this in just a second too, is that he was aware of it, but he was also an outsider. He wasn't there in Jerusalem, and sometimes having this nice outside perspective was really good for the people of Israel. They needed him to come in and help them to rebuild these walls, and that's what we see him do. When the time of Jesus, when Jesus comes later on, and this really stuck in my mind for, for weeks now as we've been looking at, at Nehemiah and thinking about this Jerusalem city, you got to understand and ask yourself this question, why was it such a big deal for them in the Old Testament of the city of Jerusalem? But why was it such a big deal for Jesus? Because Jesus looked at the city of Jerusalem And if you remember, and I couldn't remember, I was telling Lisa this uh, a week or so ago, I said, I couldn't remember who was that that kept on saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and just crying over that city of Jerusalem. And then when I was looking it up, it reminded me that it was Jesus. When Jesus looked over, even it was time for him, Even it was getting into that weak time of him and in the last week before he went to the cross. He was crying over the city of Jerusalem and saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, why? have you done this why have you persecuted all of the prophets why have you uh, uh, forsaken your god and he would just cry out to jerusalem and just saying why have you forsaken me why have you left me and not understood what i was trying to do and accomplish for you and then the last thing is to understand not only was it important for jesus time but it's important for us in the future the bible tells us that jerusalem it, it, that God will do away with in the last days in Revelation chapter 21 he tells us that there'll be a new Jerusalem a new heaven and a new earth will be created and that new Jerusalem city the Bible says that John saw that new Jerusalem city coming down as a bride waiting for his uh, waiting for his bride to come down that the groom was waiting for that bride to come down that'll be a new Jerusalem that'll come down and he describes to, uh, to John what all the things that were going to be in this beautiful city, and that it'll have the, it'll have the uh, there'll, be no, there'll be no tabernacle, for say It will be no temple because God will be there. But there will be walls around that city. It'll be, it'll be walls, there'll be gates. The gates will be left open. There won't be any night in that city, the Bible says, because there will be no night, because there will be no darkness, there, because the light, there will be no sun, because of Jesus is to be the one to brighten that city. And so it just tells you there will be no tears, there will be no sorrow, there will be no things in this new Jerusalem. And so it's important for us to understand that Jerusalem has its place. And we need to understand that even the Old Testament it was important. It's important literally in our world today, but it will be important for us in the future. And so what about walls? Walls in, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 25, in verse 28, it says, listen, whenever you don't have, when a city doesn't have walls for a person, in reference to a person, it's like a wild spirit for a person. Is that you're just living as just a, as a just like kind of a wild animal, as a wild dog, that you're just out there as a wild-spirited person doing your own thing, you have no rule in your life, you have no understanding. He says that in Proverbs 20, 25, 28, it says that is like... What it is in a person is how it is for a city that does not have any walls. It protected them from their enemy. It protected them from their enemy. If you actually do a little bit of research in Jerusalem, Jerusalem had this natural little valley. It had its natural little walls built up around it, but they still needed the protection of the walls around it so that they could fight off their enemy. And not only fight off their enemy to keep them protected, to be able to see the enemy coming and to not have an enemy just come in freely into them, but they would also at night be able to close its gates to be able to have the protection that people wouldn't come in at night to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's what happened to them. Because of their disobedience to God, God allowed the enemy to come in and destroy them and destroy them at night. So it's important for us to understand what's important about Jerusalem and what's important about walls. And so as we look at this, Nehemiah, and now let's draw our attention to Nehemiah chapter 2, and let's look at verse 9. Nehemiah had all these things. He, he was able to go in and now take his own assessment of the city. You remember in chapter 1 he got the assessment from his brother. And so now when he's in chapter 2 and he's ready to really go and take this assessment that he's going to go look in there and see so that now he can really take a good survey so that now he could potentially move forward with the people of Israel to go and rebuild these walls. And so as we look at this, I want us to understand this when we get real personal because I gave a lot of just information about Jerusalem and walls and all those different things. But I want us now in the, te- in the real heart of the sermon, I want us to get real personal. As we look at this scripture and we'll read it verse by verse from 9 all the way through verse 20 in just a second. I want us to understand that with all of this, just all of this history and all of these things that we just talked about, I want us to really look inward at us as not only as a church, but even more personal as a family and even more personal than that as a person, as a people. And the Lord tells us in Acts chapter 7, before I read verse 9 of uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, in Acts chapter 7, the Lord tells us, that he does not, Paul says, the Lord uh, Most High does not dwell in temples. That he tells us that he, know, in Acts chapter 17, verse 24, he tells, tells us again, he does not dwell in things made of man's hands any longer. In the Old Testament, he was there in the temple, he was there in that tabernacle, and he was between the cherubim wings on top of the Ark of the Covenant, and that's where God's presence was. Once the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and the veil was torn from the top to the bottom, the Bible tells us after on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that it fell on believers that people who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ now had the Holy Spirit living inside of them and he says that's where his spirit dwells. It no longer dwells Inside of places made by man's hands. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 14, he tells us in a promise that he says, I will now put my spirit in you. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, he says that I will give you a new heart. You know, a lot of times we tell kids, we well, you, you want to go ahead and accept Jesus into your heart. Let me tell you one step further. God's not of God is is worried about not. not uh, coming into your heart God's more worried about changing your heart the Bible tells us in Ezekiel chapter 37 there he says that I'm going to take out your heart of stone and I'm going to actually give you a heart of flesh I'm going to get you one that's actually beating. I'm going to actually put my spirit inside of you. You will be a different creation once you have a relationship with me. When you really have salvation in your life, God has transformed you from the inside out. God has now put his spirit inside of you to be a different person, to be a called out person. He's saying that's the kind of person that I am transforming whenever I died on the cross for your sins. And when you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, he is saying that he has put his spirit inside of you. You, the Bible tells us, you're the holy nation. You're a royal priesthood if, you've been, if you're a child of the Lord. He says, I've done all these things that you used to have to go through a priesthood and you have to go through inside the holy of holies behind the veil, actually get access to God. He says, now because of those things that I've done for you on the cross and I've torn that veil, now you have direct access to me. Now you are, my my spirit is now in you, he's telling us. There's so, much scripture, there's so much scripture to validate all the things that I just said. So I want us to understand, when he's talking about this, I want these scriptures, this 9 through 20, to be very, very personal to you. Now, this is how it can be personal. First of all, in verse 9, I want you to look at this and write this down if you can. An honest evaluation. Nehemiah takes an honest evaluation of the situation of the Jerusalem walls but I want you to take an honest evaluation. let look at it in verse 9. It says, Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river, talking about the Euphrates, and gave them the king's letters that he had access from, uh, from the beginning of uh, chapter 2. He says, Now the king had sent captains captains of the army and horsemen with me, so he came in with those people that his, the person, the king that he, was, uh, that he was from, had given him. In verse 10, it says, When Sanballat the uh, Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Now, so I want you in your honest evaluation in verse 9 and verse 10, in your own life, just as Nehemiah did. You've got to understand, when you take a self-evaluation and you say, you know what, I need, to, I need to figure out where I'm at in my life. I need to figure out, you know what, maybe I'm not where I need to be. In my Christian walk with the Lord, because that's where we find the city of Jerusalem. They started to rebuild. They got their, they got their place of worship back in Ezra. But there's so many, so many things around them that is just in complete ruin, and they're open to the enemy. and Nehemiah knows, I've got to rebuild this wall for the people of Jerusalem, the people of Israel. I have to. They're too vulnerable. They're too open. And they can find themselves in worse condition than they were before. And so what does he do? He goes in and he starts to just simply look and simply observe. And as soon as he does that, just a simple willingness to go in and look. And I know I'm making a big emphasis on it because I want you to understand that. Just a step forward in wanting to do right. Are you with me? There's opposition. Immediate opposition from the enemy. Whenever all he wanted to do, all he did, he didn't come in with tools. He didn't come in with a whole gang of people to start working. He just came in with a simple looking around and observing. And if you look there in verse 10, he says that, Someone had just come in to seek the well-being of someone else, of the nation of Israel. And so when you really want to do the right things in your life and really grow closer to the Lord, just a simple willingness of you wanting to do right, I'm telling you, write this in your notes, immediate opposition came in. Understanding where it's going to be coming from. These people... Not only were leaders in that area, but they also uh, uh, Sambalon and uh, San and Tobiah. They were even relatives of the people that were of the Jewish of the Jewish community of the of the of the rest of the Israelites. Okay, and so a lot of your opposition will come from people that are maybe over you, around you, or even uh, related to you. Immediate opposition came just by Him seeking the well-being. And so for us, as in our personal life, as I'm talking about, you know what, I'm talking about my spirit. God's spirit is inside of me. And I'm wanting to figure out, you know what, some, some, uh, maybe my place of worship is where it needs to be like the people of Israel was. If it's not, that's the first, inform- that's the first important thing, is where is my relationship with the Lord? Do I have something set in my life as far as the Lord... Uh, on the throne of my heart and life and leading me and guiding me. And then next is there's walls that are set up in place and, uh, and things in my life that I can under- understand and know that I have to have these things up for me to really flourish and for me to be the, uh, the person and the people that God wants me to be. See, David was a man of war. David had a lot of conflict. David had a lot of struggle. And he had to fight against this kingdom and that kingdom. The Bible called him a man that was his hands were full of blood. To get to the place where Israel had peace. Israel never had peace like they had peace in the time of David. But David had to fight for that peace. To really call the city of Jerusalem his city... He had to fight blood, sweat, and tears, and a, a lot more blood than the other two. He had a lot of blood to have that kind of peace. His son comes in, and his son not only gets to have it because of all the bloodshed that was done to get to that point, but he gets to receive it, and if you really look closer at that story, when, when David uh, leaves and he, he's not able to build the place of worship for his son, before his son is there, Solomon is the one that picks up the pieces, but David actually laid out the whole foundation for him, meaning that he had this one bring this, this one from this country bring this, that when Solomon picked up the pieces to be able to build this for God, everything was already in place. He laid it there easy for him. And so why do I say that for us? We need to make sure that we understand we're not going to go through the blood, sweat, and tears Jesus has already paid the price through his blood for us to have the relationship with him. So that's why I say, first and foremost, it's important for us to understand who is calling the shots in, in my life. Who is really the Lord and Savior of my life? Is it me that I'm uh, relying on, or is it the Lord Jesus Christ? And so with that, we understand we need to have that tabernacle like... like uh, like the, uh, the people of Israel had at this uh, point in time. They had their tabernacle back up, but the walls, i say it again, the walls were destroyed. And so he goes in, he looks just at the well-being of what's going on with these walls, and immediate opposition came. So I'm telling you, in your personal life, in my personal life, be prepared. And be prepared of where it comes from. In verse 11, it continues on and says, So I came to Jerusalem, and while I was there three days. There's a lot that could be done in three days. The Lord shows us that in His time. I think, I think it's significant that it was three days. And I can't prove this to you, but in those three days, we understand Jonah, Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus would be in the heart of the earth for three days just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days because the Bible tells us that, he, that uh, Jesus was buried for three days and he rose on the third day. And so Nehemiah goes in and assesses the situation. He's there surveying it for three days. In verses 12 through 13, this is our second point on this honest evaluation, is let's look at this intimate observation. It gets very personal. He says, then I arose in the night. And, I, and, and he says, I and a few men with me, he tells us who these men were. The king had sent some people with him, some captains with him, captains. He says, And I told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one that I rode in with. And he says, I went in by night through the valley gate of the shepherd, of, of the serpent wall, excuse me, and the refuge gate, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned. With fire. The reason I labeled this on your second point of, in this honest evaluation, an intimate observation is because he got real personal and he went back to the point of where he messed up. When I say where he messed up is where they messed up and he put himself in chapter one with them. He included himself with the children of Israel and it became very personal to him. Just like it should be very personal to us. And this is the reason I relate this. Jerusalem and the city and the, and the, and the nation of Israel, this is the exact spot in chapter 13, I mean, in verse 13 here. This is the exact spot that they were invaded on. This is the exact spot that Nehemiah goes to at night the same time that they were invaded on. He goes there and he starts to look and he starts to observe. And he sees that the walls, that the gates and everything has been burned with fire. He goes in and he looks and he just observes. And the reason, again, that I say it's an intimate observation is that he understood what got them to that point. The reason that they were even invaded in the first place, do you want to know why? When you go back to 2 Kings and during that time, it was because of their disobedience to God. It's where Israel had left God and continued to just be disobedient to God, that God just allowed that to happen for Babylon to come in and get them and bring them to exile. And so when you find yourself in your own personal life, after you understand of just even taking that footstep forward and that immediate uh, opposition comes your way, you really need to understand, where did I begin to drift? When it comes to sports, it's like, you know what, where did I lose the football? You know, when it comes to basketball, where did it go out of bounds? Where is the loose ball at? Where did, I, where did I begin to go off course? Or maybe you're a person that, you know, it, it, you think about on a boat and you're going somewhere or on a journey in a car and you're following dad's directions, right? And, and you turn right instead of taking a left. I mean, you need to go back to that point and understand this is where I got off course. And Nehemiah takes that same evaluation for the city of Jerusalem and he says, this is where I start, this is where I go in, this is where it was lost. And in your life, you need to understand, we need to understand, where did I begin to drift? Where did I begin to get off course? Because that's where it's going to start. That's where it's going to start in our personal life. And that's where Nehemiah was. He's there and he's looking and it's a very intimate, and the reason I wanted to name it intimate, it's a very personal And it's a very uh, realization. And it's sometimes in that intimate uh, communication between you and God, it can get very personal, but you need to. You have to pull away the layer and you have to get to the root of it for us to understand that's where we'll move forward. And so as he sees that in in verses 12 and verses 13, he sees that, uh, uh, um, he looks at it and he takes that observation and continued on in verse 13 again, he says that he went in by night through the valley gate, to the uh, serpent well and the refuge gate, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates were burned with fire. And in verse 14 he says, "Then I went to the fountain gate to the king's pool, but there was no room for, uh, for the animal under me to pass." He says, "So I went by the night uh, by night in, t- uh, 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 in the night by the valley and viewed the wall, then I turned back uh, and entered the valley gate. And so returning, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the uh, officials, or the others who did the work. He needed to go in there and to see it for himself, and he needed to be the leader that God wanted him to be and really get it from him first. It needed to be him first to understand it, to know where that mark was that they left off and where the work really was going to start and what kind of work was ahead of them. You know, one of the things that I was looking at this week, too, and really challenging myself, even as a leader, is to understand a leader... Is, is up whenever he needs to be up or when the enemy is sleeping and he's up before the, you know, whenever, and he's up before the enemy awakes. Like he, it's important for him to have these personal moments for us to be the leaders that God wants us to be. He needed to know not only where Israel was, he needed to know where he was personally, just like I was challenging us, but even as we're leading others, it's important for us to know to have this personal time with the Lord of how we can even lead others even before they even know what we're fixing to do. So before we attack the enemy, before we go against them, it's important for us to be able to lead the people around us as well and know what we're doing and where we're going. And that's what we see from Nehemiah here. Before he tells anybody and really gathers them together, he takes that assessment and he goes through and he sees all of these things that are ruined. And it was so bad that he tells us not even his animal could pass by. That's how bad the situation was. And I want to say one more thing in the the just self-evaluation of us. It doesn't matter. Even, I think, when you come to, it's right, like, way at the south part. It's even kind of further away from where the the, uh, God's tabernacle was. (laughs) But I think when you look at it, in my thoughts, and as I'm just kind of researching this a little bit, like I said, it's kind of the southern part of it, but where it talks about the king's pool and just where all that gate was, it seemed like a very significant place. It seemed like a place that had been like a, a really nice place whenever it was first set up with Solomon. And now he's really wanting to assess the situation and he realized that at that place, that beautiful place is such in a mess that his animal can't even pass through it, that he's got to get off on foot to be able to really see the whole situation. I want us to know, can we know this this morning? I want us to know that it doesn't matter how bad the situation is. That there's still restoration in the Lord. doesn't matter how bad the situation is or we think it is. That we can't even pass by it anymore with the animal that he rode in on. He's got to get out on foot because the destruction is that bad. And in your life, I'm telling you, I know... Many times that we feel like it's so bad off that i got to even get off and walk right here because I can't even pass. I mean, you remember that. Again, I don't know why the storm is on my mind this morning or in my, my notes, but you remember there were certain roads we couldn't go down because of it being blocked, because of the debris. that we could, Maybe you were only able to get there through four-wheeler or through side-by-sides. And then you, there were certain places that you could only get off and walk. And you may feel that way in your life, but knowing that there's restoration in the Lord. Just as He was willing to rebuild His glorious city that had rebelled against Him, He's ready to rebuild our lives. And moving forward, moving forward in our lives, look at verse 17. With that, just once you get honest, And once you do it all, you're observing. And once you understand where you left the Lord, He's ready. And boy, I really wish if I was a real creative pastor and cool and just kind of edgy, the more I'm around people, especially when I'm at work and stuff, uh, and with my kids, especially boy, the, the dad jokes and the uh, me being out of the, the loop is just like more and more obvious every day. I know Carrie don't understand that. She's always in a loop, but I'm not. I'm, I'm just more and more, as day goes by, uh, it just shows that I'm just not in the, you know, what's going on. But once we take a real understanding of where we're at and what's going on, it's important for us to know, and this is why I was saying that, I would love to have had a great speech for us on the screen, or me even to quote a good uh, speech. But I've seen so many, whether it's good movies of things that really happen or just maybe a good movie, of just a good pep talk. Of just want to go out there and conquer the world. Right now the most popular thing is, uh, that's happening is, is uh, Deion Sanders' is prime time and how people have played many of his clips of just of how right before the game he just tells his players this and that and gets them all pumped up in a way that he can only do only he can do and they go out there and do things that they were that never they thought was never possible you know i remember watching the the show rudy and not only rudy was a little motivational you know, movie itself, but he started quoting all the old Notre Dame guys and he had the speech down because that, they were going to go win one for the Gipper and all these different things and all these great speeches of battle. And going out there as well, I looked up some military ones, of, of whether it was Churchill or others that, that spoke these things to the people and they went out there with real war and real men of war and conquered great things. Well, this is where Nehemiah is. And he said, it's time to move forward. It's time for me to be able to go in and to accomplish this great feat that is before us. And in verse 17, he says, then I said to them, he's talking about the people around him. He said, you see the distress that we are in. Now Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come. He says, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. He says, it looks horrible that our walls are in the condition that it's in. He says, let it not stay there anymore. He said, let us go now and rebuild these walls. And this is going to be a great feat for them. When we get to chapter 3 next week, we're going to see when they start to build, it's not easy. It takes a lot of work. And not only does it take a lot of work, it takes everybody working in order to get this thing done. And he telling them right now in the understanding there's so much work ahead of them he's telling them he says listen it is better for us to take on this work for us to not to be a reproach anymore to not be shameful of being of jewish people and to be in a place of ruins all around us it's time for us to pick up and come on let us build the wall of jerusalem ...that we may no longer be a reproach and continues on in verse 18. Not only not being a reproach and rebuilding those walls, but he says there's, there's a reason in my speech to us as far as just doing it. It's one thing for me to just say rah-rah and you know all these great things and pump you up to say let's go do it. And it sounds good, but as soon as that opposition comes, uh, comes against us and hits us right between the eyes... <clears throat> Whatever we're really built on is really going to be is going to uh, come true at that point in time. Whether it's opposition from the outside or opposition from the inside, or whether it's whether it's financial, whether it's hardship, whatever, whatever or just life, just kind of comes at us. If it's just us doing it. It's not going to last very long, but it continued on in verse 18. He tells us, he says, And I told them in the hand of of my God, which had been good upon, upon me, and also of the king's words, that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build. And it says, Then they set their hands to do this good work. Why? Because the hand of my God which had been good upon me. He said, listen, God is the one that's telling me and allowing me to do this. In chapter 1, he had prayed to God and God allowed him. Not, not only did he see the burden, but he was willing in his prayer to God to go ahead and attack the situation, and he says to them, not only "Let's go" in chapter in verse seventeen. Let us do this. But he's saying in verse eighteen, because God is with us. God is wanting us to do these things, so God's people don't look at being a, a look at from other people as being a reproach. And it's important for us that we not only motivate ourselves to do all those things as far as the evaluation in our lives, but it's important for us to say, "Let's go." Let's do these things that God wants us to do. But we can't just do it superficially. We've got to do it through the working of God, through his Holy Spirit, working and moving in our life to accomplish these things. So that it's not in my strength, in my might, but it's in the Lord's might. Continuing on in verse 19, it says, And when Samballad the uh, Horonite and uh, Tobiah the Amorite official and Geshem the A- Arab heard of it, they laughed at us. They laughed at us, it says, and despised us. And says, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Not us, but God is going to be the one to prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will will arise and build. And you have no heritage or right or memorial. In Jerusalem, He was able to just kind of hit them square between the eyes and get them to understand that they, if they were going to come against Nehemiah, that they really wasn't going against Nehemiah. That if they were really going against the children of Israel, they wasn't really going against the children of Israel. But they were going to be going against God because God was on their side. And for us, we don't need to go in our own strength. We don't need to go in our own might. We have to do it through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when people come against us or things come against us, the Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, you know, against the the spirit. It's us going against these things and uh, those things going against us. It's really a spiritual warfare that we're against. And so it's not people coming against us or things coming against us. It's really those things going against the Lord. And we need to be on his side. We need to be where God is. I have one more scripture, then, I, then I'll close this morning. But in, in Joshua chapter 5, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there this morning. But I love this. This is why I want, us, I want us to get this. Many times, we're trying to get God on our side. And the worship team can make their way. We're trying to get God on our side, right? God, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. God, please bless these, God, please bless these things. God had called Joshua. To be that military leader, to lead his people, to do all of these things and to go and to conquer these great cities. And so Joshua, he just wanted people, he wanted to know clearly are you on the side of Israel, or are you on the side of the enemy, or the Canaanites, or the people that were in front of them, whatever. And in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 13, Joshua is preparing, being that good leader that God wants him to be, he's preparing for battle. He's preparing to go into Jericho. And in his preparation, as he's there in in, uh, chapter 5 of Joshua, in verse 13, it says, Then came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and, and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him, with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Verse 14, he says, so he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have have now come. And Joshua realized, and that's my word, Joshua fell on his face on the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Joshua said, Are you for us? Or are you against us? And Jesus' answer was, He says, No. I'm for me. I'm for God. Joshua never forget. He's telling Joshua, Don't forget, Joshua, it's not for you or for them but it's for me, it's for God. And God's on His God's, on God's side. It's important for us to get under God's umbrella. It's important for us to be where God wants us to be. And yes, Joshua was there, and he was where God wanted him to be, and he was leading God's people, but he wanted to remind Joshua, Joshua, you just need to be on my side. Not me getting in on your side, but you being on my side. And in verse 15, to finish off that chapter five, it says in the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. He worshiped God there in that holy place. He made that place a holy place in, verse, in chapter six, verse one. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, their gates were closed and none came in because Jericho understood of how important it was to have walls. And their walls were high. If you remember back in the first 12, that the spies that went in, they saw, they said the city's walls went up to heaven. He said, it was too great for us to conquer on our own. And we give those 10 out of the 12 spies a hard time because they gave an honest report, but the report was true there was giants in that land and there was big cities in that land but the thing that the other two had that the other ten didn't have is that they understood the other two Joshua and Caleb they knew that God was bigger than any giants in their life that God could conquer all of these things in their life and they finally understood it Joshua and the children of Israel in verse 2 it says and the Lord said to Joshua see I have given Jericho into your hand it's king and it's mighty men of valor it was just it was something that God was telling Joshua listen when you understand that you need to be on my side and when you're on my side I don't care how big those walls are I don't be, I don't care how big the people are I don't care how big the problems are God says when you're on my side allow me to fight the battles you seek me out you follow my direction and i will make you do things that are beyond your imagination and so i hope this morning as we sing this time and we just celebrate in our time of worship and in, and in reflection during this time and i'm going to be in the back i'll be standing back there i have somebody else up in and back here just taking time if you need to really just pray and you really just need to examine your heart and life this morning They say, first and foremost, do I have a relationship with the Lord? Have I ever really trusted Him of all the things that He said and has done for me? Have I really trusted Him? And if I have, have I built those walls in my life? Where I really just begin to build on the foundation of the Lord. And am I really just trusting him each and every day of my life? Am I really just giving him my all and really saying the phone, oh, I surrender all just daily to the Lord. I surrender all meaning that Lord, I'm going to be found faithful on your side, not you trying to get on my side, but Lord, wherever you want me to be, that's where I'll go. And just being the people, being the person, being the church that God really wants us to be. That's what he's asking for us this morning. So let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we praise you, Lord God. We thank you so much for allowing us to really see your scripture this morning. See how you are just not only showing of how Nehemiah was preparing to build those walls and what it was going to do for the city of Jerusalem. But, Lord, of how we need to have that kind of protection in our life. To really be the people, to really be the man, woman, boy, and girl that you would have us to be in our everyday life. That's when we'll be the light for this world. That's uh, that's when we'll be really glorifying you, Lord God, when we're just following your direction letting you lead us and guide us and we just we're just tuned in to what you have for us lord god i pray during this time lord god we would look and see where is that we would be able to pinpoint where did i go off course where did i begin to stray in my life and that there's so much love and forgiveness and true peace in those forgiveness in that place of forgiveness in you lord god that we can move on and get back on course. Again, Lord God, we love you. We praise you. Just continue to be with us this morning and speak to us during this time of reflection. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand this morning. Let's worship the Lord.